almost went off the edge. Yep, right there. Thank you, buddy. Second Timothy chapter 2. And we're talking about spiritual warfare. Let me just say this real quickly. If you have not yet been saved, a lot of what I'm going to say is going to sound like gibberish, or at least it's not going to necessarily feel like it pertains to you. Uh, and that is because what we're talking about is something that's invisible. I spent, uh, by the way, for those that, that really prayed for our efforts with outreach for VBS, I spent a good 30 to 40 minutes uh, talking to someone that had questions about the Bible at the VBS uh, uh, fellowship on Sunday. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, guys, the Lord, the Lord has blessed the effort, whether you see all the fruit right now or not. Um, but I, I want you to understand this. If you're not saved, the most important thing you have to do before we talk about spiritual warfare and you learn how it really applies to your life is you must be born again. Uh, that, that's step number one, all right? And, and if you're not yet saved, all right, the, again, you're going to go, well, this doesn't really apply to me. Really what it boils down to is this. There's a spiritual battle, a battle that goes on uh, for the souls of men and women that you cannot see. And uh, if you're saved, uh, you're in it. If you're lost, you're just a victim of it. You're still part of it. You're just on the victim side. If you're saved, you get a chance to be active and engage the right way. Uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a couple of minutes here. Uh, a couple seconds, minutes, hours. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Look at verse number one with me, if you would. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure, what's the next word? As a good what? Of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, talking about God. That's your number one responsibility in life. It's not pe pleasing Pastor Adrian. It's not even pleasing your parents if you're a teenager. And yes, you ought to desire that. But as unto the Lord, uh, ultimately unto him, that you may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, it's a, a, a prize, if you will, an award, a reward for your striving, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husband that laboreth must be for, first partaker of the fruit. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. In all things. Brother Eric, if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me just say this right off the bat. Uh, the devil hates the word of God. He hates you getting in this book and he hates this book getting in you. He doesn't matter if you dabble with psychology, if you dabble with philosophy, if you read about Ken or you read about these different philosophers over the years, Thomas, he doesn't care about any of that. But when you get into this book and when you submit yourself to the word of God, you're going to see that there, the spiritual warfare is real. If you're a Christian, you go, I don't know what any of this stuff's about. I don't see why it matters. All I can say is this. I'm not going to cause you to doubt your salvation, but I will say this. You're not doing it right. Because yeah. if you're doing what God's asking you to do, you are going to have opposition. You're going to have conflict. There are going to be issues. I wish I could tell you, man, once you get saved, man, everything in life is just rosy. It's perfect. There are no issues. It works out great. I'd love to give you a, 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 a prosperity gospel. Allow Jesus in your life and all your problems go away. That's not true. Here's what I can say a very, with much confidence, though. The problems that you do have will be with purpose. They will be with intention. All right, notice a couple of things in this passage, if you would, that Paul says to Timothy. He tells him to be strong in verse number one. That is a call to mental and spiritual strength before physical. Now, let me tell you something. Someday your body's going to go. 
Uh, your body's going to take its last breath, and, and, and at the end, toward the end of your life, whether that's in a year or 25 or 30 years from now, here's what I can tell you. Eventually, all of this is going to fade, and you know what you better pray for? You better pray for mental and spiritual strength along the way. I, can, I, met, I met some people who are, you know, man, they're, you know, big, and they're, you know, they got it all going here, uh, but mentally and spiritually, there's not a whole lot going on. You need that in your life first, and by the way, you know what Paul says to, to Timothy here? He tells him, be strong. You know what that tells me? Strength is a choice. If you are spiritually strong or spiritually weak, that is on you. You may say, well, I'm a new Christian. I'm, I'm a babe in Christ. I'm, I'm just growing. And I'll say this, with the exception of just being a newborn babe in Christ, I'll say this much. If you've been saved for any amount of time, you choose how spiritually strong you are. That's on you. Uh, look, if you would, in verse number uh, one, he says this, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know what that tells me? It's not about your talent. It's not about your ability. It's about your position in Jesus Christ. And you better get a hold of that. Some, sometimes it's real easy to lean on the flesh. Uh, whether you're, you know, people go, well, this person has great musical talent. What that might mean is that they discipline themselves to do something over and over and over and over and over. And if you're not careful when you discipline yourself, and discipline's a good thing, you might go, look at how great I am in this discipline. God's going, hey, it's not about you. It's about me. <laughs> it's about your position in Christ. Uh, notice verse two. You know what the job of a church is? The job of a church is not just to have a preacher that can preach the Word of God. That's part of it. But it's for that preacher and that church to develop people who can take the Word of God and then teach it to others also. And once you get involved in real ministry, and that's what it is, you know what happens? Uh, All of a sudden, there is spiritual opposition, which is why Paul tells Timothy in verse number 3 to endure hardness. Preacher... I feel like I'm doing everything right as as I possibly can, and and things are still hard. Can I say like this? There is no silver bullet in the Christian life. There is no shortcut where all of a sudden the right thing means everything goes the way I want, or the right thing means there is no opposition. Listen, uh, they that live godly in Christ Jesus, what, shall suffer persecution. That is a promise from God. You go, I I don't like that promise. Give me another one. There are a lot of promises that you might consider positive, but that's one of them as well. If you're doing the right thing, Paul says it this way. uh, There's a great door and effectual open to me, and, and, not but, but and, there are many adversaries. In other words, they go together. It's not so much, I'm I'm serving God, but look at all this hardship. It's I'm serving God, and look at what's, what's going on in my life. That's part of the Christian life. You live in a day and age that is so, uh, so bent on serving the flesh and, and telling people what they want. It is a seducing spirit that's gone out to the church to say, look, let Jesus in your life and everything goes the way you want to. I'll say this right now. You allow Jesus to save your soul. You won't burn in hell. You'll be in heaven forever. God will be your father. Heaven will be your home. You'll be his child. You'll never lose your salvation. And thank God for that. But that doesn't mean everything in the physical life goes the way you want it. Listen, if you leave church and you just had a great meeting with God, you spent five minutes at the altar, got something out of the Word of God, leave here, go 60 miles an hour on hand and get pulled over, don't go, I'm suffering persecution. That's just called stupid tax is what that is. But there are things in life where you are following God genuinely the best that you can. And hardness comes your way. You know what Paul says? Endure it. You know, the Bible says over in Hebrews, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, does it say he enjoyed the cross? What, what did he do? He endured the cross, but how did he endure it? He endured it by looking at the joy that was set before him. In other words, if you're following Jesus Christ, when hardness comes your way, you don't jump off your cross. You bear the cross he's given you, remembering this is not how it's going to be forever. Cross today, crown tomorrow. (laughs) When you get those in reverse order, you mess up what God's trying to do in your life. Have you not ever watched a a kid that grows up in a home where where they're a third or fourth generation in regards to a, a wealthy family? Maybe it's a third or fourth generation millionaire, billionaire. That kid does not appreciate that wealth. You know why? That kid didn't do anything for that wealth. You know what God's not really into? Trust fund babies in the Christian life. God wants you to earn, not your salvation. You can't earn that if you try. Uh, I had a great conversation with Raphael on Sunday, and one of the main points we talked about was this. You can't earn your way to heaven. Jesus Christ did that for you. 
But as far as your strength and as far as your growth and as far as your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, that's something you gain by your effort and by your striving and by not quitting and enduring hardness. So Paul tells Timothy, endure hardness. Look at verse 4. He tells us, he warns us, no man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Hey, if you want to serve God the right way and you want to be the right kind of soldier, you can't get so caught up in this world that this world means more to you than what God is telling you matters in eternity. And you know one of the problems with Christians, that I, as I understand, as I've seen in the last 13 years or whatever it is in ministry, you know what I've learned as a pastor is that, that oftentimes what people do is they try to judge a situation by where you're at temporarily right now. You can't do that. You have to learn to do with eyes of faith. Go, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, I will endure it, not because I like it, but because, number one, it's what you're asking me to do, and number two, I know there's joy on the other side. In verse 4, we're reminded that we're here to please him, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. And I I want you to understand this. Uh, Some of you might go, I don't remember signing up for this army. (laughs) Remember, guys, you had to sign the, uh, fill out the selective service thing, you know, before you're, you know, by the time you're 18 and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, in case there's a draft or whatever else, you could miss out on other government benefits if your name's not in the registry. You may not have remembered signing up for this uh, army, but let me put it to you this way. The moment you got saved, God goes, yep, you're a keeper, come on. Now, you know what God does? God calls you before you're even able to do everything that you're going to have to do. Well, now, now, listen, we say this, the calling is not the enabling. That's true. God may call, I was called to preach when I was 14. I was not enabled to pastor a church at 14 years of age. There was preparation and things that, why are you laughing, Cindy? <laughs> she knew me all too well at 14. He was not ready to do that at all. Uh, but the, the whole point is this, the moment you get saved, God calls you into his army. And you may say, I'm not ready. And God goes, that's fine, but I'm going to give you some resources. I'm going to give you some tools, and we're going to get you to a place where you can fight back and you can win some victories in the Christian life. Now, God chose you for this. You may go, I don't want it. Too bad. You're saved. You're in it, man. And listen, you go, I want to be lost again. You don't want that. You wouldn't want that. If you were lost, you know what you would do? You'd go through trouble just like everybody else, but you'd have no eternal purpose in any of it. And you'd have no control. You would just be a victim of what goes on in the spiritual battles around you rather than having a part to engage. Notice verse number seven. The Lord wants us to understand these things. He wants us to get a hold of this concept of spiritual warfare. The Bible says, while we look not the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And we're trying to talk about spiritual warfare in light of uh, discerning and understanding. How do, I, how do I fight something if I don't know what it is? So kind of on the, the front end of this, what we're talking about is being able to identify the wrong kind of spirit by understanding how God works. Uh, over in Genesis, we looked at it last week, we talked about how the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And, and then God said, and all throughout the Bible, we kept learning about how the fact that, that spirits are connected with wind and with breath. Over in Ezekiel 37, you know what uh, uh, Ezekiel says? He says, O earth, O Lord, blow. And the Lord blows on the valley of dry bones, and those bones come to life, and there's a resurrected nation out of the Spirit of God moving on a valley of dry bones. You know what that tells me? God can take what is dead and bring it back to life. But how does that work? It works by the Spirit of God speaking into something that has no life on its own and then thus bringing life. Can I say it like this? Other spirits are working in the world as well. And what they want to do is, as the Spirit of God is working in your life, they want to swoop right in and take the words that He's dropping in your life to bring you life and say, let me interfere with that. You know what I think a lot of Christians struggle with? Now, look, I know this is hard to understand because... Uh, we don't we don't live in the we don't live in the eighties anymore. But I remember, I remember having a TV that had antenna bunny ears on it, and I remember. And tell me if someone knows I'm talking. Would you would you say an amen or hallelujah or something? And you'd have to kind of stand there, and if the picture wasn't coming in clear, you'd have someone go over there and kind of mess with it. Remember remember that? And sometimes they'd mess with it, and then they'd walk away, and you'd be like, no no go back go back go back. Remember that? And they'd be like, I can't stand here all night. And be like, yes you can. We want to watch, right? You know what the problem is? The problem is there's interference. 
And when there's interference, you can't get, you, you're not a good channel for what it is that God's trying to bring in your life. And things are a little fuzzy and a little bit of static. Anybody know what I'm talking about spiritually? Where it just seems like things are fuzzy and they're not like they ought to be. You say, what is that? It's called spiritual warfare. There are different ways that people deal with conflict. I've learned this in business, in family, and in ministry. All right? Uh, way number one, deny that there is a conflict. I've watched people, man, it's like World War III is going on around. They're just like, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. And they're just like, oh, hey. Hey, man, there's like, there's like bombs going off behind. Oh, no, man, it's all good. Just denial of anything going on. Let me say this. You don't want to be that Christian. Secondly, there are those who know there's something going on, but they ignore it. They, they, it almost like, I know there's something I should be getting involved in. I know there's conflict there, but maybe if I just leave it alone, it'll get better with time. Rarely does that work. There are those who run from the conflict. You might remember, go to, go to 1 Samuel with me real quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 17. You say, what are we looking at? We're looking at David killing a giant. And uh, that giant represents uh, spiritual wickedness in high places in your life. And there are things that have to be brought down. And let me say it like this. Uh, here, here's a question I'll throw out there. Doesn't God in certain places in Scripture just kind of go like this and drop someone dead? Why doesn't he do that with Goliath? You know why? There's the you know why? Because God's going, I've enabled you to do this. And sometimes you go, God, please take this giant out of my life. The Lord's like, you put him there. You need to kill him. I'm not going to, listen, there are things that God's going to do for you that you cannot do, but God is not going to intervene where he's giving you the resources and the, and the understanding and the tools and the knowledge, and you go, God, just take this away. The Lord's like, I didn't put that there. It's almost like when Lazarus comes out of the grave, he tells them, hey, listen, guys, if, if the Lord's powerful enough to call a dead man out of a tomb, is he not powerful enough to go, woo, 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 and take his grave clothes off? Like to basically un-TP the guy, could he not do that? Why does he not do that? Because in other words, look, you guys put him in the grave. I got him out, but you're the ones that got him dressed for, the de- for death. I want you to get him dressed for life. You see, there's a lesson there. There are some things that God's not going to do for us right away. Look at 1 Samuel 17. And the Lord's going to give you resources, and I think that's what tonight's a little bit about, is teaching you how to fight on your own and to discern what kind of spirits are right and what kind of spirits are wrong. 1 Samuel 17, look if you would at verse number 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly what? Look down at verse 24. Look down at verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. You know what some people do when there's conflict? They run. Now, you know what we call that in, uh, in the military? Boy, I mean, you know... Back in the day, it's a different uh, time these days, but when someone was running, you know what they'd oftentimes do? They'd shoot them. You go, oh, I can't believe that. Listen, the army, the way things operate today is different than how they were. You know why they did that back then? It was a message to everyone else that even thought for a second that'd be a good idea not to do it. Do you know what the Lord's looking for in his army? Some people who won't tug tail and run when there's hardship. You know what's really easy to do? Oh, the church is growing. People getting saved. People getting discipled. People getting back. And praise God for that. I'm not, I'm going to say, thank you, Lord. We'll take more of it as long as you give it to us. Don't complain about it. Thank God for it. But it's very easy to go, man, this is my church. What about when there's hardship in the church? It's almost like when your marriage, listen, when I first get married, you know, and she's beautiful and he's beautiful and, and he can do no wrong and she can do no wrong and I just love him. And, oh, I just love her and I just can't wait to spend the rest of my life. And then a year later, it's like, this has been the hardest year of my life. <laughs> now, you, now, seriously, you laugh about that. I've talked to couples that literally were raised the right way, raised, they, they married the right person, did it the right way. And I, I, there's a young lady I'm thinking of right now, he's going to summer camp with us. And she literally said, man, it's been the hardest year of my life. And she wasn't complaining about her husband. She was simply saying, man, this marriage stuff, if you do it the right way, it's not always easy. You know what God's looking for? Some people that when conflict and and friction and opposition comes, they don't just go, I'm out. You know what I see in the church today? People that are just like, I'm here for the good times and I'm out when it's not good. And you know what God's looking for? Some people to go, hey, you know what? It's not easy right now. It's not, it's not going the way I want it to. Not going. There are people, listen, there are people, that you, there are some of you right now, right now, you are saved because of people that aren't even here. 
You know what I mean by that? They were paying the bills, and they were praying, and they were, in, I'll never forget it, Wednesday night, uh, over in the old building, over uh, off of Iliff and Blackhawk, it's a Wednesday night, got my message ready, I'm going verse by verse through some book of the Bible, can't remember what it was, and uh, I'm excited, we're going to have, you know, as many people as we had on Sunday, because that's what you expect, you have, you know, 30 people on Sunday, and you expect 30 people on Wednesday, and then nobody comes, and this lady, this dear St. Melinda Tiger, walks in, and she sees the look on my face, and she goes, don't ever quit. And I'm going to tell you right now, the reason some of you are saved and this church is standing is because of people like that that some of you will never even know. They paid the bill before you even showed up. You know what they did? When it wasn't easy and the church wasn't growing and things weren't where we thought they should be, they stuck it out. God's looking for some people like that. You know why? Because in the end times, it's not going to get easier to serve God. It, it, guys, listen, this idea that man, if, I just, if I can just get you know, where God wants me, things are going to flow the way that I want them. That's not necessarily a biblical thought. Look, at it, these men knew that, that that Goliath, that giant, should have been taken care of. Can I ask you a question? Why doesn't Saul do anything? Why don't the men? And you know what's really funny? Saul and all these great men of, these men of war... When David does show up and he starts asking questions, they go, get out of here, you punk kid. We know why you're here. You're not here to do anything good. They turn on the guy. Instead of listening to him and going, yeah, he's right. Let's go fight the guy. They despise the one that's willing to stand up. Can I, take, can I say this? It was still the right thing for David to do, even though he was outnumbered. Nobody in that army was like, yay, David. <laughs> they weren't like, David, David, he's our man and he can't do it. No, Go, David. Go, David. You know what they were like? Well, let's watch this fool kid get killed. <laughs> All right, who's going to write his mom and tell me he died? Who's going to tell the family? Everybody get ready. They're taking bets on how long quick he's going to die. They're not standing there going, yay, David, you're the best. You know when they cheer for David? After the battle. Can I say this? No one may cheer for you right now, but boy, when you get up there, you're going to get something. You say, what is that? After the battle. But can I say this? Don't, don't be those that run. Be willing. To, there are those who know there's a spiritual warfare. You know what they do? They do nothing to engage. You know what they do? They're a lot like the disciples that sat on the boat and watched Peter walk in the water and make a failure of himself. Those that deny, some ignore, some run, some just don't do anything at all. You know what's real easy to do? Watch other people fail. You know what's hard to do? Actually do something. I know some Christians will sit in church and go, well, I shouldn't have done, they shouldn't have done that, and they could have done it like this, and they should have said this. And it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, you know, if someone gets up and sings a special, well, I think they went off on that note. You try getting up here and have all these people staring at you. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know uh, I think that maybe the, 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 that decoration should go a foot to the left. Okay, you show up the next time BBS is over, and you take about two hours out of your life, and you put it all back up here. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's really easy. You know what the disciples did with Peter on the boat? Oh, man, there goes Peter. Ah, Peter's sticking his mouth in his mouth. Oh, there he is. Put his mouth. There he is. He's going to make a mess of things. Oh, there he goes. And he's down. And he's down. And he's, hey, guys, you see that? He fell. Uh, Peter gets in back in the boat. And I, I guarantee you later on, the Lord's like, hey, boys, how come none of you got out of the boat? And then there are those. Now, I know some of you are younger. But uh, I wasn't around. I'm not that old. But my dad fought in the Vietnam War. You know one of the biggest problems the Vietnam War was? People didn't really, the, the leadership did not express clearly, I mean politically, not the military guys, what is our objective? So they go and they take a hill, then they say, okay, retreat. What are we doing? Do you know what happens when you half-heartedly engage in the Christian life? You come and take this gun, okay, here it is, and then you give it up when there's opposition. You realize you're not getting anywhere. And that's more frustrating in the Christian life than actually engaging 100% as you should as a believer. Uh, you, you know what he says? He says to fight the good fight of faith. He, he says to, to war, as, about, as Paul told Timothy, to war a good warfare. And, and I want to explain this to you. Look at Luke chapter 14. Go with me there, Luke 14. Wednesday night Bible study, right? Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, look as you would at verse number 28. Anybody here ever built a house or any kind of building at all? Anybody? All right, I got a couple of hands. All right, all right. Um, you know what you learn when you build something? It takes longer and costs you more than you ever expect. 
Is that not fair? Like you, you just, it just does. And uh, look at what it, Luke 14, verse number uh, 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the what? Whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make, what's the next word? The illustration is building something or fighting in a war. Those are the illustrations that are given for the subject matter that we're going to look at in just a moment. He says, uh, which, uh, what king going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desired conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not what? This is not for salvation. This is about discipleship. It's about warring a good warfare. I, I tell you, we don't, I don't think we really appreciate, as American Christians, the idea of forsaking all. Um, I've read this over and over today, and it just it kind of bothered me, just to be honest with you. Because you know what we want? We want Christianity to be easy. You want it to be convenient. You want me to meet you? Let's meet, it, let's meet it where I'm at. And that's not what Christianity was ever meant to be. Salvation is so simple and so easy. He did all the work for you. But we're talking about you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to learn to do. I want you to do this tonight. Count the cost. Do I really want to keep following him? Well, if it's not going to go the way I want it to, then okay. You're going to miss out, though. You're going to miss out. The illustrations that are given here, one of the illustrations is going to war. You know what war is associated with? Discipleship. And that's what we're talking about. Paul says, you don't have to turn there, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know what you learn when you study your Bible? God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spiritual being. The devil is a spiritual being. His angels are spiritual beings. And you know what? You're a spiritual being. And if you're not saved, you, know, you don't understand. You may not understand that. You go, well, I'm just a body. No, no, no. The real you is not just a body. This is just the vessel. This is the shell. You're a spiritual being. And God made you to connect with him, to worship him. So here's the question. If you're a spiritual being and God's a spiritual being and there's other spiritual beings involved and they want to go against God, don't you think it's good for you to know what those spiritual beings might look like when they show up? Don't you think it's good to understand what kind of spirits we're talking about? Uh, I'll say this. When you're having a hard time hearing from God, uh, go to Hebrews chapter 5. When you're having a hard time hearing from God, there's a couple things that are going on. A couple things that are going on. Either there's too many voices. The other day, uh, my wife was literally in the same car with me, like, I don't know, two feet away from me. And all the kids were talking at one time. And she repeated herself, I don't know, three times. And I finally said, everybody, please be quiet. Not mad but I cannot hear what she's saying. We were actually close to each other physically, and yet I could not hear. You see, what is that? Too many voices. When you have too many voices in your life, you can't discern the right one. Sometimes the, the problem is not just too many voices. You may only have one, but it's the wrong one. And, and sometimes, you know what you got? Selective hearing. Anybody with kids knows exactly what this is about. Can I get a witness? You can tell them we're going to go to Elitch's and they will ask you 50 times before the day that you go. You can tell them we're going to go in a month. And every day, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? I need you to pick up your room. Two hours later, pick up your room. I forgot. <laughs> you see, what is that? Selective hearing. And we laugh about that with the kids. You know what we do with the Lord? Same exact thing. There are certain voices that we want to hear, and there's other voices that we don't. We, last week, we talked about seducing spirits. The Bible says in the end times, in the latter days, uh, there'll be a great falling away. And it talks about the people that will, Christians that will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You know what that means? I'm listening to what I want to hear. And a seducing spirit will tell you, here's what you want, not what you need. And I'm going to tell you right now, there, there, you can get that in church. I, there have been times where, I won't tell you, 
preaching the true word of God and someone that doesn't have their heart right with God will hear something and twist it and say, pastor said this. is like, that is not what was said. Brother Caleb, please pull that up. Uh, minute 57, uh, second, uh, second 32. Let's pull that back and let's rewind. Let's watch it again. Because that's not, how did you get that out of that? I'll tell you got that out of that. You weren't hearing with the right, the right spirit. And it's one thing to observe the wrong spirits externally. Sometimes you got to realize some of those are dealing with, you're dealing with it right here. Talked about a deceptive spirit. You say, what is that? Over there, Micaiah is the only true preacher, and God sends out a lying spirit. And you got to be careful with that. Talked a lot about that last week. I want to talk to you today about a steering spirit. You say, what is that? A distracting spirit. Look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. As you turn there, you know what Jesus says about the eye? He says that uh, if thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. In other words, if you got your eye focused on the right thing, spiritually and physically, you got your eyes in the right place, you have light from within. And when you don't, it's darkness. Can we apply that principle to your ears? When you are listening to the right thing and you are tuned in to what God wants you to hear, how he wants you to hear it, Man, that's a beautiful thing. But when there's all that static going on and you're hearing different voices from different spirits, man, Katie Bar, there is trouble coming your way. Uh, look, if you would, at... Uh, uh, I, told you go to, I told you to go to another place, too. I'm sorry. Acts 16 for now. We'll get back to Hebrews later. Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. You see what's going on here? Well, uh, this is Paul and uh, Silas and uh, Barnabas and Paul uh, just split up in the last chapter. So Paul and Silas are, uh, are preaching the word of God in the city. And I want you to notice what happens in verse number 16. And by the way, if you look at this chapter, you're going to find out over and over and over, Paul wants to pray, and every time he wants to pray, something comes up. And let me tell you right now, you say, what is that? That's a steering spirit. It's a distracting spirit. I'm going to make some comments that I hope you'll take the right way. And with the understanding from a loving heart, I'm not saying it's to, 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 to make it, you know, uh, uh, church should be a place of liberty. It should not feel like prison. Uh, and, and please take this the right way. But I'm going to tell you right now, uh, uh, sometimes on Sundays, you got 40 people getting up at one time. Can I tell you, that's, an, that's a distraction. And it's not for me. I'll keep preaching. Brother Craig talked about this at VBS. He goes, I don't know how you do it. You, after a while, you just learn that's part of it. You can't tell everybody to sit down when they get up. It's not right. It's not appropriate. I won't want to do that. At the same time, I'm going to tell you right now, unless you have to, can I tell you, sometimes it's good just to be still. And teaching your kids this, I know it's never going to be a amen preacher type of point whenever I mention these things, but I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes it's a distracting spirit that starts moving. And when five people get up at one time and someone's under conviction of the Holy Spirit and God wants them to get saved and your, your coffee break matters more than their soul, something's wrong with how you look at church. You say, what is that? That's not the right spirit. It's about you instead of about them. Look, you can get coffee after church and get it before church. Now, look, if your bladder's about to explode and you're going to have an accident, please, by the grace of God, please take advantage of the bathrooms we got. But I'm telling you right now, oftentimes it's almost like this laxative, I'm just going to get up and stretch a little bit. Man alive, someone could get saved or stay lost based on your response. Look, not everybody's going to preach, but you are preaching by how you respond to the word of God. And when you sit there, either just do this, you know, just that kind of thing, or you get up and you start moving around. When God's trying to deal with somebody, that says something about what you think about God's word. I understand. I get it. Sometimes you got to get, so you got to do stuff. You know, mom's got to go get the babies in the nursery. I'm not picking on folks for doing things that have to be. Don't walk in. Pastors, you know, you know, sit down in this seat and you better not move. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I don't want to come off that way, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's way too much, there's too much liberty, and it's according to the flesh. It's about me feeding myself and serving me instead of others. You know what that is? That's a distracting spirit. You go through this passage and all over and over and over, Paul's trying to get to pray, and stuff just keeps coming, and some of it's not all bad stuff. Uh, Look at verse 16. It came to pass, we we learn about this, look, a, a seducing spirit tells you what you want to hear. A, a lying spirit will deceive you. A distracting or a steering spirit might even tell you the right thing, but it's out of order. It's not done the right way. Let me give you an example of this. Look at verse 16. It came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of what? That's someone that, you know, I can tell the future, you know, call me and I will look at the crystal ball and I give me these cards and we'll play this game and I'll tell you what's going on and you're going to marry a bald man. Yes, he'll be very fat. Yes, and 
he'll be out of shape. Oh, there he is right there. You know, I don't mean, you know, that, that, that's what a spirit of divination is. All right. But but notice what happens here. It says uh, the spirit of divination met us. It was a personal encounter which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. It was about money. The love of money is the root of all evil, is it not? The same. Now watch. Look at verse 17. This is interesting. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Question. Is that a true statement? Absolutely it is. And at first glance, you're like, well, this is a good thing. Here's this girl with an unclean spirit, a spirit of divination, and she's walking around going, these men are, are the preachers of the Most High God. They show us the way of salvation. These men are the preachers of the Most and, and, but, but you have to understand, Paul's also trying to preach the word to these people. So I ask you, let me ask you a question. Who are they paying more attention to at this point? Well, it's true, but it's out of order. And so you have to understand that some things can, it's not necessarily that they're not true, not real, not right, but it's the order in which they are done that makes it of the right spirit or the wrong spirit. Doesn't the Bible say God's not the other confusion? You got all these voices and Paul's trying to preach and give them the gospel and this young lady's behind him going, these guys are the real deal. Follow them. Listen to what they're saying. They're no longer listening to Paul now. Now they're watching her. Do you know what I think about when I think of this? I think of a man in, the, in, uh, John, in the, the letters that John writes, the epistles of John. He talks about a man named Diotrephes who wanted to have the preeminence. You know what that is? Pay attention to me. Look at me. Notice me. Can I tell you right now, that's not God. You know, even the Spirit of God doesn't speak about himself. Think about that. The Spirit of God does not show up and say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. He doesn't do that. You know what he does? He says, let me point you to Jesus Christ. He takes the platform that he gets not to point people to himself, but to point people to Jesus Christ. And it's not, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 about charity, it is not unseemly. It's done the right way in the right order. You know why you have order in a church? You know why you have order in a home? You know why you need to have that? Because if you don't have that, you know you're going to have chaos. You know why God puts structure in every element of, of what I'll, I use the word very loosely, every element of government, whether it's in the home or in civil government or in the church. You know why you have that? Because if not, you would have anarchy and chaos. And so God says, hey, there's an order to how the word of God should go out. You may go, well, I think, you know, uh, Pastor Adrian's gone one Sunday. Why does he have that guy preach? I don't know. Pray for me. Pray for him. Some people go, I like this guy more. Doesn't matter. That's not, that's not your choice. You know, is it? it's God's choice. Do, do you realize, you say, what is that? Well, that's me trying to take the, the driver's seat and go, hey, I matter. Listen, you matter to the Lord, but you have to understand, just no differently than my children matter to me. They're not the ones making budgetary decisions in my home. Right. That, that's something that goes to dad. And listen, spiritually speaking, God's got it. When we try to elevate our voices to be more important than what matters to me and let me take control and let me make this argument, God goes, I'm out. Matter of fact, look at the rest of the passage. Verse 17, she's, you know, she's bragging on him, basically. I'll be honest with you. If somebody stood up in the back and goes, that's a great preacher. I'm like, well, thank you so much. But if they did that the whole time I was preaching, you know, you get it, right? The illustration, look, look, look if you were to verse 18. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And you keep reading on that, that passage, and they get upset with Paul because of what he did. And they lost their money, so they, they get Paul and Silas thrown in jail. And we understand that God was working through that miraculously. And if you look down to verse 31, uh, a Philippian jailer gets saved by believing on Jesus Christ. Amen? We know that. However, can I just point out that sometimes when God's work isn't done God's way and somebody else wants to have the preeminence, that's not of God's spirit. And that's something you have to watch out for. I've watched it many times, not just in church, but in families. Hey, there's an order to things. Do it God's way. All right? Uh, listen, the Bible says that will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Can I ask you this? Do you ever th uh, look at your life and, and think about how often your mind's moving from thing to thing? 
You know one of the blessings of coming to church physically, not just watching it on the screen, yay big or yay big, you know one of the blessings is sitting still and disciplining yourself. You know why? Because God says, I want your mind focused on me. If your mind's constantly skipping and skipping and skipping and getting distracted and distracted and distracted and distracted, this distracted, that, you say, that, that, let me say right now, the Lord wants you to be able to sit and be still and know that I am God. And when you have a spirit that's at work that moves against that, can I say this? It's not God's spirit. Spirits that are there to distract, you know what they want? They want the preeminence. That's what Satan wanted. He wanted to be number one. Spirits that are there to distract hate the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate pure minds and they hate hearts that are focused on him. Look at James chapter 3. See, what do I do about a, dis- a steering spirit? I'll tell you what you need to do. Confront it. You know, Paul did. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, being an exorcist and, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start anointing people and I'm going to do this. I'm, we're not talking about apostolic gifts, but I mean, when you see that there's a, 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 something going on in your life that's constantly getting you off the mark, constantly moving you away from Jesus Christ, you need to address that in your life. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I know I've, I've talked with some people about this before. Uh, the reason why I strive very diligently from the pulpit not to talk about all the political things that go on and you better do this and go vote this way and do that. You know why that is? Because that's a Trojan horse to getting in here and getting us off the mark of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I have certain political beliefs. I got my own opinions about these things, but you know what they're not? They're not Bible. <laughs> so, so you know what you do? You have to say, okay, let's just be careful with that. Why? Because that can get us off the mark. You know what else can be really a, a dangerous thing for a church to do? get so busy with activities that we just try to do everything we can and stay busy with all these activities that when it comes to church, you're wore out and your mind's distracted. You know what that is? That's something the devil can use in our lives too. Let me give you this. Look at James chapter 3. Let's talk about a sensual spirit. James chapter number 3. You say, what is a sensual spirit? It's a spirit that's driven by the senses. It's basically your flesh... Uh, being under this, basically your spirit surrendering to a spirit of sensuality, saying, flesh, do whatever you want. Uh, look at what it, James chapter number three. You say, can Christians do that? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yes. Uh, look at James chapter three. Look if you would at verse number 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly. What's the next word? devilish for where envying and strife is there is confusion not of god and every evil work but the wisdom that is from above by the way administered by the spirit of god versus the other kind of wisdom that's administered by another spirit the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits without partiality without hypocrisy and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Can, can I say this? Envying and strife and self-deception, which you read about in verse 14, are all the results of the wrong voice. He mentions earthly, that's of the world, sensual of the flesh, devilish, it's of the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil, what you read about in First John right there. You say, what is that? There's, there's some certain spirits that I'm going to tell you right now are there to basically tell you, flesh, do whatever you want. And you know what it's all about? I've got liberty, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know what Paul does over and over and over? You know what sensuality is? It's basically, another word for it is carnality. Now, I know we've been through this before, but I, I want to outline this again for anyone that might not have been here uh, to hear this. There are three kinds of people, and I don't mean Asian, African, and European. That's not what I mean by that. I, I mean this. I mean natural. And by the way, I don't know, you Christians need to get this lesson too. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's right. It, and I, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, but if a woman walks by with inappropriate clothing and a man looks at her, that's natural. It doesn't mean if she's not your wife that you should be looking. Amen, amen, amen. So just because it's, oh, it's natural. Doesn't, isn't it, I remember years ago, I, I, taught on, I don't remember what it was. I was going through the Bible teaching about uh, different gray areas. That's what it was. And talking about marijuana and talking about different things like alcohol and things like that. What does the Bible say about that? And someone came up to me and, go, and they went, man, I didn't know all that. I just thought it's natural, so it's okay. There's a bunch of stuff that's natural you shouldn't do. Yeah. All right. So the natural man is a person that has not the spirit of God. You're not saved. Then you got the carnal man. That's the person that's saved, but they are given to the flesh. 
Then you have the spiritual man. That's the person that submitted and yielded the spirit of God. You know what the spirit of sensuality uh, leans towards? It leans towards feeding your flesh by your senses, whatever it is that you think is right. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you're thinking, you know, you know uh, you're thinking of lust and, you know, uh, uh, going to, and, and getting, you know, hammered or whatever. No, sometimes just, I think this, and this makes sense to me. And the spirit of sensuality goes, yeah, it makes sense to you. That's right. Yeah, it makes sense to you. And listen, the Bible says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. If you follow God, it's not always going to make sense. Listen, when you talk about salvation, think about this. T- tell someone that's lost. All right, how do you get to heaven? Be a good person, keep Ten Commandments, join church, do something, because that makes sense. You know what doesn't make sense? I can't earn it. I'm not going to deserve it. I'm on my way to hell. The only thing I can do is trust a man that died for me 2,000 years ago as my Savior. That's all I can do. Amen. That's faith, but it doesn't make sense. You know what spirit of sensuality would say? Well, it just doesn't make any sense. Don't, that, 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 don't do that. Uh, l- listen, uh, A spirit of sensuality is driven by giving you what makes sense to you in the moment. Look if you would at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to give you just kind of a, (laughs) there's a Romans road, you know, an Ephesians road. I'm going to give you 1 Corinthians road. You see, what is that? What not to do in the Christian life. All right? Paul addresses this a number of times with the Corinthians. You see, what are they? They're the most carnal church that lived in his day that he had to address. And I think you can make the argument oftentimes they were given. You know, you know what? I'm just going to say this right now. Do you know what I think is happening in the church in every area? We do what just makes sense to us. This outfit makes me look good. It doesn't matter that it's showing off way too much of my flesh. It makes me look good. It makes sense. I'm wearing it. Chapter and verse, please. And then you know what happens? We're showing these younger girls, hey, it's okay to wear this. Maybe that's not an okay thing for them. Maybe we shouldn't be attracting attention to the flesh. You say, what is that? Sensual. I know right now. I, I can just tell it. You talk about dress and all of a sudden, <laughs> act like you got all constipated and everything else. Like you got something. I, I'm not telling you you get to heaven. A legalist would tell you if you want to go to heaven, you better dress this way. You better, I'm not telling you that. I'm simply saying if you're a child of God, stop making your decisions by what just makes sense to you. And ask yourself, what does God think about this? What, do God, what does God say about this? Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know the earmark of a sensual spirit? You know what it is? It's, it's, it's division and strife. It's I'm better than someone else. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look if you would at verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? The answer is no. Look at chapter 3. Same book. Look at chapter 3 verse 4. I'm sorry, go back to verse 3. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Let me tell you right now, there is something called spiritual division where you draw a line in the sand simply because it is right biblically. Then there's carnal division, which basically says, you're not like me, therefore I'm drawing a line that God didn't even put in the sand, but that way I feel better about me by putting you down. You see, what's that? Carnality. That's a spirit of sensuality that'll lead you to think that way. Uh, look, if you would, at chapter 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you know what a spirit of sensuality will tell you? Forget what the Bible says. Forget what the preacher says. Uh, what does a psychologist say? I didn't say everything in psychology is wrong. I'm going to tell you right now, if psychology says something and the Bible says another thing, you better make up your mind which way you're going to go. You know what was a sign of sensuality and carnality in the Corinthian church? I'll give you another example. I'm going to step on toes here, and you guys, you know, pray for me. I hope you love me after I say this. You have parents, Christian parents that will come to church, hear what the Bible says about correcting their child, and they won't do it. Why? I know better. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, yeah, preacher, yeah, yeah, I know, but, but like, you don't know my story. Okay, all right, fine. I, I didn't write the book. He did. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't do it his way, you're going to regret it. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 6, you know what they did? Rather than dealing with things biblically, they skipped all of what the Bible says about how to deal with contention in the church and between brothers. And look at verse number 6. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. You know, a, a, a spirit of sensuality will tell you to do? Use the world system of resolution over God's. Can I tell you, that's not right. Look, if you would, at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
I call this the, the Corinthians road. What not to do, where not to go. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 29. Conscience, you say, what's going on here? I'm going to give you an abbreviated version. Uh, they're eating meat offered to idols, and Paul's saying, look, the meat's not a big deal, it's just meat. But once you know that it was, you may go, what in the world does this have to do with anything in 2023? Historically, maybe not a lot, but practically everything. You don't walk around going, hey, man, at the barbecue that you went to yesterday, you're not like, hey, man, did you offer that uh, beef over to Venus? Like, you're not, you're not thinking that way. That's not how it works. I get it. You're Americans in 2023. The, the issue that they had in their day was eating meat offered to idols. However, do you know what? That applies in your life. Absolutely it does. There are situations in your life where the object itself is not a problem, but what it's associated with is a real issue. And when you partake in it, even though it's an innocent matter, maybe on its own, knowing what it's connected to, you ought to say, I, I can't. Well, what's the big deal? I've got liberty. So you know what Paul says? Hey, buddy, it's not even about your own conscience. It's about the conscience of those you're trying to serve. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judge of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Now he says this. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? You know what it's not about? It's not about your liberty. You know what a sensual spirit will tell you? It's about what I can, I, I got liberty in Christ. I won't go to hell if I do it. No, you won't if you're saved, but man, you can mess up a lot of people along the way. It happens in chapter 11. I'm going to save you some time from reading all the verses. In chapter 11, Paul addresses the Lord's Supper. You know what they're doing? They're eating the Lord's Supper at church. Why? It's convenient. I, can, I don't have to cook a meal at home, just come together and eat the Lord's Supper. Now, some of you go, I don't want like wafers and grape juice. Yeah, but if you got like wafers this big and grape juice like this and you got five kids, you might just be tempted to take them to church and have the Lord's Supper as your meal. So you know Paul's addressing that. You know why? A spirit sent shot would go, what's convenient for me? No, let's not ask what's right. Let's ask what. I am tired of Christians going, what's wrong with it? Why don't you start asking what's right with it? And, and are you doing it out of a motive of convenience or out of serving the Lord? Uh, look, if you would, at uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to skip a lot through here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know what a spirit of sensuality will say? If you want it, take it. In 1 Corinthians 5, there's a man that uh, commits fornication. And you can read the chapter on your own for another time. We've got little ears, so I'll be careful with what I say. Uh, but the man commits fornication. It's, it's the kind that's not even so much named among the Gentiles. And Paul has to address it. You know what that man's problem was? Unbridled lust. Listen to me very carefully. When you tell yourself and you hear a voice that goes, you have to do this, and it's against God, you don't have to do this. When you hear a voice that says, you've already gone this far, just finish the job, stop what you're at, and run for your life. When those voices are speaking to you, do you know what that is? That's the spirit of sensuality. It's going to try to get you off the mark. It's going to try to get you to go down a road that you follow, wherein you follow your flesh, and before you know it, you're knee-deep, and trying to get out of those shackles and trying to get out of that bond is going to be so hard for you as a child of God. But eventually, this man that, that fell in that sin, he tried to get things right. You know what the church did after that? So here's what happens at first. The church is like, hey, do whatever you want. If you want to live that way, we're not going to say anything. We're going to ignore it. And then Paul jumps in and goes, hey, you need to address that. You know what they did? Get out of here, man. Get out of here. Then the guy eventually gets right. You know what they wouldn't do? They wouldn't forgive him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know what a sensual spirit will do? It'll cause you to go from one extreme to another with no balance in your life, from complete liberty to the flesh, all the way to unforgiveness in the spirit. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. So that contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. You know, some people will mess up in church. And then they'll say, hey, I messed up and I'm sorry. And you know what some people do? Or it'll happen in marriage or it'll happen in your home or happen at work or wherever else. And you know what some people do? They'll just go, you're never going to be good enough. Okay, well, can I ask you a question? Who put you in God's place? Who made you God? You know what spirit of sensuality would do? It'll cause you to say things about someone that you don't need to be saying. Because you know what? If you're saying something and it's not going to edify that situation, do you know what that is? It's sensual. It's you going, look at me. I'm not like them. Man, I get real nervous around people that never want to talk about their own life, and all they want to do is talk about other people. That makes me really, really nervous. I don't know that's the right spirit. Now, I'm not saying all you want to do is talk about yourself. Don't get me wrong, but I, there's a, there's a it's, you know what it is? It's extremes. Everything about me, 
or everything about them. Why? I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about everybody else. Can I say this in the Christian life? You know what? You ought to spend more time with. It shouldn't be about you. And it shouldn't be about others. It should be about Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Can I show you something else here? And we'll close pretty soon here in just just a moment. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. You know what's real easy to do? I've learned this. The Lord sends out the disciples to cast out unclean spirits. Remember that? And then one time they're in a situation where they want to call down fire from heaven for people not responding the right way to the Lord. You know what the Lord tells them? You know not what manner of spirit you're of. Don't worry, those are happy spirits back there, okay? All right, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. You know what that is? That's you examining you and going, what spiritual influence am I allowing in my life? The same people that were casting out devils, the Lord looks at them and goes, you don't even know what kind of spirit you have in you right now. You ought to pay attention to that. That ought to mean something to you. You know what, you know what a sensual spirit will say? I won't listen to anybody. Now let me tell you real quick, very, very quickly, if you find in your life that any preacher self-included, tells you to go against what God says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to say, you know what, preacher, I love you, I'll pray for you, but I can't go down that road, and here's why biblically. You know what, that, that's the right thing to do. I know it sounds really weird for a preacher to tell you, don't listen to me if I'm telling you something that's wrong, because it's my, but it's not about me, it's about him. You need to get a hold of that principle. At the same time, there, there's one extreme, which is, pastor said, pass the Kool-Aid, wow, you know, like, that's dangerous stuff. I've been around Christians like that. It's like, no, no, your pastor's not your God. You ought to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'll also tell you the other extreme of I'm not listening to anybody. That's dangerous. And it's sensual. You know what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Uh, I'll spare you some of the time, but look at verse number 23. Paul is trying to defend his own ministry. Why? They're not listening to him. Can you imagine being under the ministry of the guy that writes half the New Testament and you finding a reason to go, Mama, no, I'm not listening to him. Now, you know what you say? Oh, that's the Apostle Paul. I, I wouldn't do that. I would listen to him. What if you were listening to him before he was Paul? As you know him. You know what you would go? Well, I don't know about that, Paul. I'm not so sure. You know what Paul's doing defending his own ministry in chapter 11? Look at verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more free. In debt. You know what he's doing? He's trying to give them, like, guys, here's my resume. Why aren't you listening? You know what he says in another place? And I'm going to be very careful about how I frame this. You should never follow anyone that isn't following Jesus Christ. Amen. At the same time, G Paul, what does Paul say? Be followers of me as I follow. You know what a sensual spirit will say? I don't need to listen to anybody. No, there's some people that God has put in your life for you to listen to. Amen. You don't have to. You got the liberty not to listen, but you ought to. And you know, a sensual spirit will say, I don't need that. All right, but God's going, yeah, but you do. Now, let, me, let, me be, let me give you some advice. Take it or leave it. And we'll kind of end here. All right? One of the things that is unique about the day and age in which we live is that we can be connected. I had somebody call me. I've never met this person in my life. And they're praying about coming to our church. Praise the Lord. Amen. Wonderful. All right? But I, you, know, you know what's interesting about this? It's a two-edged sword. There are, are people, we can be connected with people and God can really use it. And sometimes we can be connected with people and it may not always be used of God. And I want to warn you as a Christian, understand this. I've had people from across the country reach out to me who I don't know and they go, Pastor Adrian, I've been listening to your messages and I want to ask your opinion. What do you think about this? You know, what my first question is, are you going to church? Have you talked to your pastor about it? You want to know why? Because when someone comes fishing in my pond, I want to know why they're not fishing in their own. You got to be real careful with that, Christian. Well, I'm going to go talk to, you know, Pastor Snuff and Brush. Well, great, go ahead and do that. But you know what he doesn't know? He doesn't know how faithful you are to church. A little too close to home? He, he doesn't know what, what's actually going on in your life. That's why God gives you this. <laughs> All right? And you know what the spirit of sensuality will say? I don't need to listen to that. And I'm going to tell you right now, guys, anyone that knows me, ask my kids. I keep looking over here. Chess is like, I ain't your kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Because my daughters are only sitting right there. I'm so sorry. Chelsea's probably uncomfortable right now. In this, I keep looking at her. She's like, why is he looking at me? All right. Uh, the other day, where was that? I, was it me and Joe? We were at the ball game, and Joe leaned over and goes, yeah, this lady lets Joe get a, a, a poncho so he can get rain on. He goes, yeah, this is my dad. Can't you tell? And she's looking at me and looking at him going, yeah, sure. Uh, but, but, but you can ask my kids. Do you know what I would love? You know what I'd love more than anything else? I would love just to preach, and I'd love no responsibility outside of preaching. Can I tell you this? That is not the ministry. You know what the ministry is? The ministry is going, well, Here's what the book says. From the pulpit and outside the pulpit. And I'll tell you right now, I don't always like what God wants me to preach. You know why? Because it rubs my flesh the wrong way like it rubs yours. But last I checked, you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to put off the old man and put on the new man. So when there is a spirit that is driving me to follow what makes sense for me and driving me to fulfill the lusts of my own flesh and driving me to go, what do I think over what God says? I got to pump the brakes and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know what man, I know not what manner of spirit I am of. Go to Hebrews. That's why I told you to go a while ago and we'll close here. Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter five. Is this stuff making any sense? See, I think, I think sometimes people talk about spiritual warfare. They're like, oh, man, Pastor, talk about, you know, getting anointing oil and walking through the church. And you got the spirit of uh, eating too many French fries. I cast you out in the name of Jesus, you know. And I got, you got the spirit. That, that's not what we're talking about, clearly. We're talking about things that are way, way closer to home. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Some of you got really offended by the French fry comment. Nothing wrong with going to Wendy's after church as long as you, you know, you know, just uh, exercise a little bit more tomorrow, amen? Keep it in balance, all you got to do. I know right now, Florence and Jennifer are like, Lord, have mercy on Pastor Adrian. He knoweth not what hydrogenated oils are in this process. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, Sisters of Thunder. Hebrews 5, look if you would, at verse number 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Now, that's not a bad, that's not a negative comment. That's just a reality. You don't know what you don't know. Right, Javen, can I pick on you for a moment? Because um, I'm going to anyways. You good with that? Okay. <laughs> All right, so there are things, would you not say there are things that you look at differently today than you did a year ago? All right? And, and would you say that some of that has to do with the influx of the word of God in your life? All right? So would you also say there are, it's not, it's a courtroom, like I'm a lawyer. Would you also not say, uh, <laughs> would, you, would you also say that, that as it relates to things that you understand now, there are some things you understand today that you didn't a year ago? Right. Yeah, exactly. Today, I mean, I was shoving in, uh, Olivia got sick and she couldn't eat a whole lot, but man, she's got her strength back. She's no longer sick. She's doing great. Man, I was taking that food and just shoveling it in her mouth. But you know what all she can handle is like mushed up stuff. It's basically, ever watch birds, little baby birds eat? You know what the mom does? <laughs> Do you know what Christian babes kind of need? They need someone to kind of chew it up and go, here it is. Right? Now, now, as you get older, you can handle meat. You are supposed to grow and mature as a Christian. Look at verse 14. But strong meat. All right, right, Brother Steon? Flice. That's meat, right? In, 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 in Afrikaans, flice. What is strong? What is it? Stan? Stark. Stark flies. And then just some strong meat. Stark flies, right? <laughs> strong meat belongeth to them that are of what? Full age. Now, watch what he says. Even those who, by reason of use, have their, you know, the spirit of sensuality says, don't have to exercise this in a spiritual manner at all. Just do what you want to do. Spiritual, having your senses exercised means you're going, is this, what do you say, God? Let me, let me put aside my feelings for a moment. What do you think about this? Will this edify other people? Will this be a blessing to others? Will this set other people back? Will this cause more questions and it will give answers? Lord, how do you want me to approach this? That's, that's you having some discernment in your life. All right? Having their spiritual, uh, uh, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Christian, if you want 
to win some victories in your life, you're going to have to learn to do that. And in order to do that, you have to learn to identify some of these spirits that are sometimes kind of lingering around that God wants out of our lives. I pray this was a help to you. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God tonight. Lord, thank you for the chance to open the book. Lord, uh, these people are patient and they've listened to a long study tonight. Lord, bless them for it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as believers not to, uh, Lord, not to allow ourselves to be influenced by the wrong spirits. Lord, there's so many uh, things out there, Lord, to distract us, get us off the mark, to, Lord, to, to feed our flesh. Lord, to, to get us to do what it is that we want to do. And Lord, help us to pump the brakes. Help us to have discernment. Lord, help us to see what's going on around us. And Lord, especially in these last days, I'm, I'm very, very well aware, Lord, that, uh, Lord, time is short. And you want us to do what we can while we can. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we learn these things, Lord, to help those who maybe, uh, Lord, they're, they're not maybe at the place where they can get it. Lord, help us to, to be able to pass it on them in a way that they can understand it. Lord, I pray that there's uh, uh, any people that you put in our path, Lord, in the next few days that are not saved, and there's plenty of them out there. Lord, the majority don't know you. Would you help us take advantage of it? Lord, help us not to listen to the spirit that says we have no time. Help us not to listen to the spirit that says that that's inconvenient. Uh, Lord, help us to listen to your spirit and listen to the right leadership in our lives. We love you. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning.